Welcome in Memphis Grizzly fans and NBA fans all around. This is Elijah Campbell and you are listening to the Grizz and Grind podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Grizz and Grind with Elijah Campbell. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and our other two team-focused NBA pods, Cavalier Central and Nuck If You Buck. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing and my co-host Jason Sunkel, featuring some of the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Welcome in to episode two of the Grizz and Grind podcast here on the Hoopheads Podcast Network. This is the season in review part two. I'm your host, Elijah Campbell, alongside Kevin Highland. Kevin from MTSU, one of the student managers for the men's basketball team. Kevin, thanks again for joining on for part two. I'm glad you liked it enough in part one. I didn't scare you off. We had enough fun to, to have you back on the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, man. I had a lot of fun yesterday. I'm glad to talk more Grizzlies with you. Exactly, yeah. So the more and more Grizzlies we can talk, the better. And to recap, if you haven't listened to part one, A, I highly recommend it. B, to catch you up, we went through the regular season before pre-COVID-19, actually, pre-pandemic Memphis Grizzly basketball. They, which is what, March 12th, I think, was when the season was suspended. Right, yeah. March Mm -hmm. 11th or March 12th, season was suspended. And the Grizzlies had a three and a half game lead of the eight spot in the Western Conference. There's a hiatus. There's a bubble. And the Memphis Grizzlies are now having to play for their spot in the Western Conference playoffs here in this eight game section of the NBA restart. And going into it, because, Kevin, this is such a, a young and inexperienced team. And I, I think we mentioned it till we were blue in the face yesterday when we were talking about the youth and inexperience of this team, I thought that would be the reason they didn't get in the playoffs. Um, on the station I work at, 1025 The Game, we had an NBA preview hour, um, maybe a week before the restart, and I was asked who I thought would win or would be able to get the eight seed and kind of snag that last playoff spot. And I thought it would have been Portland because Damian Lillard, because of the inexperience on teams like New Orleans and Memphis, that a situation like this, they'd be more prone to succumb to. And really, I think that was one of the biggest reasons the Grizzlies weren't able to, to get that eight seed after the restart because of a lot of defensive lapses and a lot of inability to close the games we're going to get into earlier or later here in the show. But we'll go ahead and start with the first game, which the NBA schedule makers, which every year they always do a hell of a job getting the best games on opening night, Christmas Day, Christmas night, all that good stuff. Well, they were at it again. And the first game for the Grizzlies in the bubble was the Portland Trailblazers, who them and the Pelicans were the two best contenders for that eight spot coming into the bubble. And they play Portland, and Kevin, it was looking pretty good going into the fourth quarter. The Grizzlies were rocking. I mean, you got a, a highlight alley-oop from John Morant. Jaron Jackson scoring from all over the place. I want to say he had 33 in this game. And it looked like with about four and a half minutes or so, they're up, what, eight or nine? 
that it was supposed to be good from there. What did you think happened in those last four and a half minutes that really did the Grizzlies in? Because it did end up going to overtime. It went into overtime. <clears throat> I thought that, you know, I used the word sustainable a bit yesterday. It's it's one of my favorite words, you know, when you're talking about team basketball because mm-hmm. – Especially young team basketball. Young team basketball. You have a lot of, a lot of because, sample size here. you know, especially with a team like the Grizzlies where, you know, you're ta- you talk about John Morant's oop. As I recall, it was uh, Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark, it. yeah. Brandon Clark gets a defensive rebound, playing the four, pushes the ball down the court, and throws a oop to our point guard. You know, like that's not something that happens, you know, with many teams. Yeah, not a lot of teams are doing that. And, you know, so it's like a team where they love to get out and transition. They're young. They, you know, they're springy. They like to, you know, anybody can throw a oop to anybody, basically. You know, I've seen Jaron Jackson throw some alley oops mm-hmm. this year. Valanciunas has thrown some. And so um, what really stuck out to me was I thought that the way that we were scoring the ball in the third quarter was not incredibly sustainable Mm -hmm. because I thought that we were capitalizing a lot on them on the, on the, on the Blazers missing some shots. And, you know, we were down at the half. So we were the team that was making adjustments, which I feel like, you know, the Grizzlies are really good at that this year. The Grizzlies Mm -hmm. are a really good third quarter team, but you know, you're playing against a team that has, you know, a backcourt that has been through as much, you know, Western Conference Finals the year before against the Golden State Warriors. They've had some playoff battles. They have a lot of experience, but namely, you know, I mean, you don't even need to mention Damian Lillard, you know, I mean, he's... He ended up having the the best bubble of anyone. He's unbelievable, and it started here, you know, and so I think when you're playing a backcourt like that, it's, you can't really have them rattled for long. I didn't really feel like they were ever that rattled. They were kind of, you know, they were kind of, I felt like, feeling each other out a little bit, the mm-hmm. the Trailblazers, because had had some injuries in the season and, and all those types yeah. of things. Nurkish's first game back all Nurkish. year, and I think it was the first time that I'm Collins a big Nurkish, Nurkish guy, by the way. I, am I don't know yeah. about I, I, I think he's a very skilled, yeah, very skilled and big man. I think it's just a good story, you know. I think mm-hmm. anybody that can come back from that type of thing, putting that much pressure on his leg, too, and you know, relying mm-hmm. on footwork, it's just it's great to see him back, but... Um, yeah, so, you know, they were, I remember them taking a third quarter timeout, the Trailblazers did, and, you know, Damian Lillard looked pissed more than anything else. And so uh-huh. I thought the fourth quarter, we, you know, the way that we had built the lead wasn't incredibly sustainable. And, you know, you look at the, at the quarter by quarter scoring in the fourth quarter, we scored less than we had in any other quarter in the game and eight less than we had in the third quarter. So I thought that Portland also did a really good job forcing shots that we didn't really want to take all that much. For example, Jaron Jackson. He was a great three-point shooter, and he shot 40% on the day. You know, I mean, he's a great player, but I can't imagine Taylor Jenkins goes into many games thinking he wants Jaron Jackson Jr. to shoot 15 Yeah, that's That's, every – That's half our team total. You know, we usually Mm -hmm. were throwing up about – let me look at this again. We're throwing up about – I'll say it was 33, 34. 31 and a half a game, and he threw up 15 by himself. And so, you know, that's not a thing that – you know, you really want to rely on much coming down the stretch games. And so I thought they defended us better than we defended them is really what it came down to. And then Damian Lillard made mm-hmm. some shots and went into overtime and closed us out. You know, Melo had those two huge corner three-pointers. Which, yeah, we got a little bit of an Olympic Melo back yeah, uh, right. where he's catching, shooting threes, so. and threes in transition. Yeah. You had the Olympic Melo siding. And then most importantly is, I guess, and the, the guy who really took the game over to me too was C.J. McCollum. And this guy is... The ultimate Grizzlies boogeyman. This guy does it to the Grizzlies all the time. And I cannot figure out why C.J. McCollum is that dominant against the Grizzlies. Now, in this game, he had 33 points, 6 assists, and that's on 75% true shooting. 
And he's been, like, in recent years, he's been the boogeyman. His entire career, he averages 21.6, almost 22 points a game against the Grizzlies on 60% true shooting. And this year specifically, going into this game, averaged 28 points, 5.5 assists on almost 59% true shooting against Memphis specifically. That is insane. I mean, this guy just owns the Grizzlies. And he was getting to his spot. He was hitting that tough, contested mid-range jumper, which for 95% of the league is a bad shot. But that's that that's his go-to. Yeah. He put us out of the playoffs with it. Yeah, he put him, yeah, three straight You'll, possessions, and it looked it looked really similar in the playing uh-huh. game. Obviously, it was much more dramatic and you know a little more emphatic uh, because of the you know the context of the game and everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he lit us up all night. We played him, you know, in the first game, and what it came down to me in both instances. And after the first game, I thought about it. I was like, why was you know why did CJ McCollum go for thirty three against us, and then the rest of the bubble, Damian Lillard's going for 40, 50, 60 points, right? And then we play him again, and it's kind of the same thing. And I'm thinking it's because we don't have enough perimeter defenders. Mm-hmm. So John Morant's on an island with CJ McCollum all night. I love John Morant. I don't have a negative thing to say about the guy. Oh, no. He's learning just, defensively. He's he, getting his feet it's, it's under It's bound to happen. You know, it's bound yeah. to happen. He's, you know, I mean, you put me out there. I, don't, I couldn't guard CJ McCollum any better than John Morant did. Yeah. But, um, you know, so I think that it's it, it's kind of a testament, too, to, you know, Damian Lillard's selflessness. You know, he, he mm-hmm. had a quote. He was quoted. It was one of my favorite things I heard a guy say in the bubble. You know, they've Lillard and McCollum have been like that their whole career. You know, they're, they're uh-huh. good friends. They're cut they've, from the same I actually heard too. a story about when they were in college, they played. I don't think they played in the same conference, mm-hmm. but they were connected somehow through. I, I can't remember what exactly it was, but Damian Lillard one year broke his foot. Mm-hmm. And was out for a year and redshirted and then came back and played. And then C.J. McCollum ended up having a, a really similar, might have been the same exact injury on his foot. Mm-hmm. And Damian Lillard said that C.J. McCollum texted him with advice, like, how do I rehab? And while I'm rehabbing, how do I get better at you know the sport? And how do I keep weight on? And all this different stuff. And so when the draft came up and they were looking you know, at who they were going to pick, Lillard, they want you guys to draft C.J. McCollum. Uh-huh. And so they've had that bond oh, for, really cool. forever, you know, since before they even played in the league. And there was a, a quote that Damian Lillard had where he was like, I trust in any situation, in any game, I trust C.J. McCollum to take the shot. I don't care how poorly he's shooting. Wow. And he was, you know, I mean, this game is shot, like you said, 75% true shooting. But, you know, it was that selflessness of Lillard because he can mm-hmm. still, you know, he scored pretty well. He, you know, had a 60 true shooting percentage and he put up 29 points. Oh, yeah. Which is fantastic. But he just said, yeah. who has a better matchup? That's what it looked like to me is they were saying, yeah. who has a better matchup down the stretch? And they decided it was C.J. McCollum. And now the C.J. McCollum workout, mm-hmm. which, you know, obviously worked out for him. And... That's another just the Grizzlies are young, you know, they don't don't have everything they need. And what you hope for if you're a Grizzlies fan or a Grizzlies coach, player, front office is that they kind of gel similar to that. They have that same type of trust later in the future. That's how the Blazers are able to close out so many Mm -hmm. games because they are they do have trust in each other to knock down their shots. I mean, you saw it in this game. They even trust Melo with those shots. Mm -hmm. And Carmelo Anthony's a guy who's been out of the league for almost a, a year and a half. So just being able to trust that guy on your team to knock down shots late in the game the way they did is a real testament to the type of team that that Portland is, and it explains why they ended up getting into the playoffs too. But one thing that I noticed too, what kept Memphis in the game, was that they were finally being aggressive. And I thought this is a little bit of growth. I think this is something with when you have so much time to look back on what your team is, the habits you had in the regular season going into this bubble and trying to fix certain things. You're able to, I guess, really put your game and your team under a microscope and then start to work on those mistakes and those those little blemishes 
throughout this time. It's almost like having another offseason. One of the things the Grizzlies didn't do offensively before the, the stoppage was get to the free throw line. Uh, I think they also said they were like 19th, 20th in the league in free throw rate. And when it came down to this game, they got to the line a ton. They shot, they went to the line 50 times, made 76% of their free throws, but got 50 free throws in this game. And I thought that was huge. And I thought even though the Blazers ended up winning this game, that there was some sign of growth for the Grizzlies. And of course, some of the defensive lapses late in the game were, that's natural growing pains, but it's also the Blazers making tough shots. And like we did, like we just yet mentioning CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, two veteran guards that are all world that are just taking over games. And they just have that extra confidence that you have when you've been playing lead this long and you've gone to the Western conference finals and you've, you've beaten some really, really good teams, knocked out some good teams in the playoffs and have that playoff like experience. I don't really fault Memphis for losing this game, even though like you can't look at it and say, Oh, well, I mean, you had a nine-point lead with 4-12 left, and you, you blew it, and they went to overtime and then just got hammered in the overtime period because they, they just didn't have any shots fall. Right. But there were a lot of positive signs in terms of fixing things they weren't so good at and then getting some bench production, which from Brandon Clark, you're always expecting him to get it. He had 21 points on 91% true shooting. And another thing is, too, I mean, so you get that production off the bench and you needed it because Jaw struggled with a shot. He shot about 43, almost 44% true shooting, um, but still recorded 11 assists and only had three turnovers. But he just wasn't being able to score the ball. So you have a lot of these obstacles, but you're still able to keep yourself in the game against a really, really good team because you're getting the production off the bench from guys like Brandon Clark. So you have that versatility and you're finally getting to the free throw line. So I thought that was a little encouraging. Yeah, I thought, you know, you talk about John Morant, the assists and, and the turnovers. I thought that it was a really interesting game from him because it looked it was really weird because it was like it, it looked, especially in the first half, like mm. his early games in like November did where a he bit, was yeah. where he was getting downhills and looking to kick out almost too much, you know, mm. and that resulted early in the season in a lot of turnovers and not as much, not as many assists and, you know, games are getting kind of ugly and lower field goal percentages because he's kind of forcing himself into shots where if he's going past first, he's being made to change his mind almost mid air. Like I would almost, I would would rather him shoot the ball too much. I would rather him try to finish too much or draw fouls or just just try to get yourself. Right. Because all you're going to do is draw yourself more attention. Even if you miss, you're going to draw yourself more attention, you know, Mm -hmm. But he, um, you know, in this game, he was, I didn't feel like he was drawing a ton of help. He was drawing enough help off of ball screens. He had 11 assists. He had three turnovers. I thought he was too passive for a lot of the game. I thought that he looked a lot mm-hmm. like he did early in the, in the season, like I was saying. But he had, along with that, he had not lost his feel for the speed of the game uh-huh. and for rotations. He had, you know, he knows how to read NBA scouting report now. He knows how guys mm-hmm. are going to guard him and. He knows, you know, how fast guys are. He's not playing in the OVC anymore. Shout out to the OVC, though. It's a it's an oh, underrated conference. E- excellent conference. The, my most my favorite mid-major conference to keep up with in basketball right. every year. Always right. competitive. Always has a couple yeah. giant. Other than the, other than the conference USA, of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can't can't <laughs> can't shade the conference US to USA USA. But, USA. But, they're, they're, they're closer to Power Five. Close. But he, you know, Belmont's not putting out defenders like the Portland Trailblazers have. You know, guys mm-hmm. aren't as fast and long. Obviously, and that's not a, a knock on Belmont. But uh, I thought that he, you know, still had that, but he was in too much of a pass first. So the Grizzlies, who attempted on the season, like we said, 31 three-pointers a game, uh-huh. put up 41, which 
I'm all for. I'm all for. Yeah. But it wasn't like we were putting up 41 because we were shooting, you know, an incredible percentage because for the season, we were shooting right at 35%, which is 23rd in the league. Yeah. So, you know, good team for like, you know, those who don't know, I would say a good three-point shooting team is like 37 or above as a team probably. Mm-hmm. Between yeah, 36, what you would aim for, yeah. If you're above 38, you're really good as a team. Yeah, the closer um, you flirt with 40, the more phenomenal you are. And so 30, 35% almost, 34 and some change. And, you know, we were only, we were 13 for 41, so we only hit 32%. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like we were shooting out, you know, outrageously well. Uh, Jaron shot well, you know, but you got Dylan Brooks went two for nine. Ja went one for seven. Um, so we're getting the line helps out. A so whole we were lot. getting we were getting a lot of you know like I thought we were settling a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought that really showed. I thought the second half, I wish Basketball Reference did half by half stats because I feel like I think John Morant took five of his seven three pointers in like the fourth quarter because mm-hmm. they started he was getting downhill and he was getting to the basket and they started kind of adjusting for that more. They were going under ball screens. They were gap helping more pretty aggressive drop coverage on, on those ball screens. And so he was attempting a lot more of those. And so I would like, you know, consistently to see him, you know, getting downhill and really, really forcing help, you know. Um, and I thought that he did better about that as the game went on. And as we got – I, I feel like the more that we get in the transition, the more comfortable he is hunting for himself, mm-hmm. even in the half court, you know. Felt like he he really had it going in the second half in that sense, and so I thought that the more he can do that, the better we are offensively. You know, yeah. That fourth quarter, he attempted one three, only uh, one. How many yeah. taken the third? And the third he took two, so he took, and for the whole game, make sure I got the right game here. Yeah, he, he took seven. Yeah, it took seven for the whole game. So it looks like most of those were in the first half. I must no. be thinking of some other game. Then. That's crazy. Yeah, so he took five in the, the second half total. Three, yeah. Or no, two. Yeah, two in the second half. He must have took one or up. two in overtime. If that's the, Actually, if that's no, you're right. Up. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, – because he took two in overtime. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Now now it adds up a little bit. It was just going down the stretch. I, he was – he was. they were guarding him that way, you know. They were like anything other than John Morant getting in the paint. You know, we'll be happy to lose by anything. Yeah, they were one for seven from three in overtime. Right. And mm-hmm. it looks like – do a little quick math here – uh, one or two for eight from three in the fourth quarter. That's so, ugly. yeah, not not ideal. They they definitely I I would agree with that. They definitely were settling for uh, a ton of threes towards the end. And it could, a lot of it could be fatigue too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is which is a bad sign considering they still had to play seven games in like a week or in yeah. two weeks, yeah. you know, two weeks stretch. You're still having to play seven more games of really meaningful basketball. And that was another thing too. Grizzlies were six in the league in pace. A concern of mine was they might not have the legs to finish very strong and they eventually do finish stronger than I would think in that aspect in terms of just being conditioned enough to be competitive in games. You're not supposed to be competitive in because their last three games were against the three best teams in the East. Mm -hmm. So you're not expecting them to win those games, but after five games of playing every other day, incredibly meaningful basketball, you'd think that especially the, I guess a, a younger team that's not as deep, they were going to probably wear out a little bit. Um, before we move on into the Spurs, game two, do you have anything else in game one against the Blazers that Just, you want to revisit? I know you're a big analytics guy. Do you pay attention huge. to free throws per field goal attempt? Yes, love Because that was, that love was another it. huge thing. Um, so I think the league average, I feel like, you know, like 13 through 17 teams mm-hmm. had a free throw per field goal attempted of like 0.25. Yeah. Which is not bad. So for, you know? for every four shots, you're getting one, you're shooting one free right. throw for every four shots. Right. Yeah. 
and uh, the best, you know, in the league was like 33, I think, or 0.33, you know, so one out of every yeah, three. I I, it was right up, around actually. there. It might have been, it might have been Brooklyn. It was I looked it up the other night. But um, in this game, the Portland's Portland was right at 0.32. Mm-hmm. So about you know one out of every three, but the Grizzlies were at point four one. Yeah, yeah, they, which they're is, they were, you know, which is insane. And so that really was another. High. That was another. If you go back and watch, that was another way that that drop coverage and really aggressive help from Portland really influenced the game a lot. Was mm-hmm. they were kind of gapping, and I feel like that kind of influenced that team so. a little bit. Yeah, and to answer, uh, I guess the the leading team in the NBA in free throw rate was Miami Heat at point two nine nine. Okay. Okay. And the, yeah, the Grizzlies finished. They yeah, they did not finish very high um, in that category. Did I miss? Yeah, they're twenty fifth in that category. Right, 0.24 yeah. on the mm-hmm. entire season. That's huge in a game in which you're not making many shots from the field, um, and that that helps you out in so many ways. So tough loss there, and they're able to kind of have a chance to redeem themselves playing the Spurs in the next game. The Spurs not very far behind. I think they were kind of in the same. But with the Pelicans and uh, and Portland, and then Phoenix. Once Phoenix kind of messed around and caught Phoenix, up, Phoenix. We don't even talk about Phoenix. Yeah, that, that was, was crazy. That, that was, was insane. Yeah, that that was one of these stories of the bubble. But the Spurs game happens, and the Spurs seem to be in control for most of the game, and that was without their the best three point shooters. Bellinelli didn't play. Now Bellinelli in twenty twenty isn't offering as much as what he has earlier in his career. But he was out of the game, so the much-needed perimeter shooter the Spurs didn't really have. But Derek White came in there, um, had three triples, and kind of picked up the slide. Derek White had a really good bubble um, as well. But the Grizzlies defensively held the Spurs, who were a top-10 offensive team in terms of offensive rating in the NBA, to under 50% effective field goal shooting. So that were I think they were 48.8%. And this was you know, his 10th in offensive rating. So... For if you just look at those numbers right there, you should think that the Grizzlies were in good shape. And they were later in the game. The Spurs started missing shots. The Grizzlies crept back into it. And they were playing catch-up a lot of the way, too. But the Spurs just killed them on the boards. And I think if we look this before we get into the, the Dylan Brooks foul, which ultimately is what it's a lot. You know, it's a 48-minute game. It's a lot leading yeah. up to it. You know, that's the one that sticks in your mind. It's one that like most immediately Lost that was, his yeah. game. It's a. It was a really, really bad foul. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, he. You know, it happens. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. The Spurs grabbed twenty five percent of their misses. So one of every four misses that they have on the field, they were getting rebounds back. And honestly, yeah, uh, what was crazy to me too is the Spurs were playing guys like Keldon Johnson. Keldon Johnson's played like eleven career games. Yeah, and he, he showed had, out in the bubble. He had several offensive yeah. rebounds in that game that helped keep some mm-hmm. possessions alive. Yeah. I say it was eleventh career game. And that really hurt. But other than that, I thought the Grizzlies really played like the better team for most of the game until that really bad defensive lapse late. And we'll just go ahead and get into that right now. Let's just jump right to that. So, so yeah, as, as, I re- picture here. as I recall, um, this was the game where Jaron hit hits that, that corner, corner three. three to put us up by or tie us. Did he tie it? Tied the game yeah, yeah, with like three seconds left. It was okay, no, no, no. So I think I think the DeMar foul was with like three seconds left. Jaron's was with because DeMar dribbled the ball the whole way up the court and sized Dylan up a little bit. He did. Uh it might have been like six or seven it seconds was, left, I think. It was something it was something like Actually, that. I think I have that right here. Yeah, no, he hits a corner three with ten seconds left. Okay. And DeRozan kind of lets the ball roll yep. and is basically uh sizing up Dylan Brooks yep. and pump fakes from three-point range. 
a half step or inside half, the three-point yeah, yeah. Yeah. Three range, worse. which uh, that's a DeMar DeRozan yeah, three, yeah, essentially. Yeah. That guy does not shoot threes, which should tell Dylan Brooks, if you read the scouting report, he does not want to take that shot. In, in my opinion, it is almost Kill. as unforgivable as in that same situation jumping on like a Dwayne. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what, you know it's what they're going to do. That's his patent you know move. You He's know made a living do. in the NBA doing that. And so um, I thought I thought it was really bad. I thought that what was a really smart, I don't know if he did it for this specific reason, but I just, you know, as, you know, and like aspiring coach, I look for stuff like this, watching mm-hmm. games and Popovich is like the holy grail of coaching, you know. Oh, yeah. That guy's the best ever. The goldmine of good tidbits and on so how to coach. I think that in, in late game situations, teams, you know, so I don't know if they even had a timeout. So maybe they didn't even have a timeout. But Jaron, you know, hits a three and most teams are just calling a timeout immediately and you're drawing something up. And then they come out of the timeout and they're usually just running an ISO for the best guy. So it's like, why mm-hmm. did you call a timeout? What's the point of even calling one there? Yeah. So I think that. Letting, you know, DeMar bring the ball up the court and, you know, set himself up. If that's what you're going to do anyway, you don't need a timeout for it. You call a timeout. All they're doing is coaching Dylan Brooks up better on how to guard him. And all they're mm-hmm. doing is setting guys up better in rotations, you know, if they think that, you know. The, the ball's going to get there. swung at any point right. in that and play. So if that's, yeah. what, if that's what they're, you know, they're, they're getting them set up in that, you know, and I'm sure the Grizzlies, I'm sure Taylor Jenkins and whatever assistants, you know, watched endless amounts of late game film on the Spurs. You know, if that's what they wanted to do, they would so I think not calling a timeout helped, but yeah, I mean, the foul was unforgivable and, you know, uh, what really didn't help was, you know, he shot seven for 20 and a true shooting percentage of 39. It was bad. His was shooting bad was game. really bad. It was a bad game, um, which, you know, we were talking about yesterday. Dylan Brooks is, in my opinion, easily on the Grizzlies in, one, in, in the league and is one of the most polarizing mm-hmm. players in the sense that you're going to get, you know, just a fantastic game where he's going to shoot seven for 20 and his game is losing foul is bipolar. Yeah. And I think that a lot of his, his defense and the rest of his game really stems from how he shoots, which, you know, might be I was getting ready to say that. Yeah. Might just be because he's young. You know, I feel like if he sees the first couple goes down, you know, he's, I love watching him play. He's a dog, you know, oh, yeah. he plays, he plays hard all the time. You know, he talks a lot. He's, you know, just really active. And he's the kind of guy you love having on your team. Yeah, he's never afraid of the moment either. I mean, and, yeah, he's, he's a, a tough, right. tough dude. And that's another thing that, you know, you need to talk about. Like, there's no saying that anybody on the game fouled DeMar DeRozan. And the reason that he's, you know, getting hell for it is because he's the guy that's guarding DeMar DeRozan late game. He was he's the, the one that happened situation. to be in that position, yeah. It's the same thing as everybody talks about. Paul George gets game winners hit on him a lot. And it's like, that's because Paul George is consistently guarding the best player on the other team late in games. You know? Yeah. It's going to happen. I'm and sure he gets he, that because of his defensive ability. Exactly. And so, you know, Dylan Brooks, I think, is, you know, has a lot more upside than downside. I think that yeah. he's... Next year, I'm really looking forward to seeing where the foul was bad. Egregious. But I think a lot of his mistakes stem from trying to do too much. I think a lot of his mistakes are aggressive mistakes. And some of that you can live with as a coach. But in a situation like this, you're where I, th- I thought even this game, too, I thought he defensively was one of his better games because I thought his sh- his shot making ability not being there in that game, shooting seven for 20, gets in his head took, it, took him out of his game. Yeah, it took him out of his game a little bit. And that could be. Uh, part of just being a young NBA right. uh, basketball player. And when he got in that situation, biting on that pump fake, which is absolutely agree, just given the scouting report, you need to know these guys. I mean, it, it's funny. In the NFL, there are defenses that have playbooks or they have you know cheat sheets. They call them cheat sheets. And they have them on every single player on every team they play against. 
Um, uh, a colleague of mine, Tron Davenport, he, he works for ESPN.com. He covers Tennessee Titans. He talked to Dean Pease, who's the Titans quarterback, or not quarterback, a defensive coordinator, last year. And he told Tehran, he's like, you know, I have – their scouting reports are, are thick. And, and this is obviously a podcast, so you can't see my hands right now, but my hands are pretty far apart, and this is how thick that those, you know, scouting right. like, plates yeah. are. And you're, you can't physically get through all of them, but he puts something in every single – like like a dollar, like a $10 bill or $100 bill or something, somewhere in – or a clue. Then if someone brings that clue back to him, they read to that point – he gives them like a hundred bucks or something. There's like, there's like a financial incentive to find this, you know, page in the scouting report or in like, or in what he calls the cheat sheet. It's not, it's different from the scouting report because he watches so much film that he knows like if an offensive lineman's, you know, slanted to his left, just a little bit and his right foot's up, it's a run block or it's going to be, uh, or if a quarterback will like kind of tip oh, yeah, his football pitches. Football coaches are animals. They're like a different breed. There's and, so much to remember. And basketball defenders are the same way. You have to be able to know what guys are doing. That's what made Tony Allen such a great defender. It's not like Tony Allen's a freak athlete, but Tony Allen, his effort was always there, and he's probably the smartest defender in the league when it came to cutting off angles. He knew exactly which angle you wanted to attack when you're uh, trying to get him off the dribble. He knew exactly what angle you were trying to take when you're running him off a screen. He knew angles that you were going to take better than you did. It's just the, the mentality of an NBA defender you have to have. Mm-hmm. But that's also, the I mean, don't get me he's started. He's the pinnacle. Yeah, Allen. that's my favorite Grizzly ever. Still, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's exact. That was his mo. He still does it. He still sits. Have you seen he'll sit courtside at games and yell at guys about dropping the wrong foot and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Garden. He's a savant. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's incredible. And yeah. a lot of that stems from just knowing your opponent, and it doesn't take this magical defensive cheat sheet to know that DeMar DeRozan's best pump or play is a pump fake. The guy does not want to shoot threes. He wants to draw fouls or at least, you know, back you down and shoot from 17, 18 feet out a contested mid-range jumper. That's just DeMar DeRozan's MO. So not knowing that, not knowing the time on the clock and knowing that you can still defend without like lunging at somebody is what's the unforgivable thing about that. And that's just one of like the, that might be the biggest growing right. pain play because of the implication it right. had, because now DeMar Rosen hits those free throws. Jaron Jackson misses the desperation. He from like 40 feet out mm-hmm. at when the buzzer ended and that let San Antonio gain a game, gain a game on you. Um, Portland got beat by Boston that day, but Portland was able to gain games later on down the road. And what? Yeah, and what? Because of that game. Yeah, and and the playing game. What it? What was crazy was so the Trailblazers ended up being the eight seed, and we were the nine uh-huh. seed because they had played one more game than us in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Which whatever that happens, it's not the NBA's fault. Yeah. You know? Um. But any if we had won one more game in the bubble, we would have had. A game up, which means we lose the playing game, and we you just get go play them again tomorrow. We only yeah. had to win one game instead of them having to win one game. So you know, I mean, you, you keep that in mind. Obviously, there's no way they, you know, he could have known that. But the thing about the foul to me is, you know, anytime really, for the most part, you, that you foul a jump shooter is like in that situation, you're not going to block him. You know how many, how much film? It's so rare. How much film do you watch on Demar Rosen? How many times has he gotten blocked 15 to 19 feet? You know, if you're Dylan Brooks, it doesn't happen. The guys that can do it are Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo or Rudy Gobert because their arms are so long right. they could touch their right. shins standing straight up. And that's what. And that's what there's. I remember watching uh, Tim Duncan talked one time about rim protection, and somebody uh, was you know talking about. Asking him how he doesn't foul. He has like one of the best, you know, block shot to foul ratios, maybe the best ever. I, I mm-hmm. can't remember what it is. But they were asking him how he blocks so many shots and doesn't foul. And he was like, I never jump. He was like, unless I absolutely have to, I don't jump. Because mm-hmm. if I have to jump, 
it's not going to make me more likely to block a shot just leaving a guy's hand. You know, it's going to be like right. one that's in the midair and like I don't have that kind of leaping ability. I'll say it's the same thing, you know, in that situation for Dylan Brooks is it's like you never want to be the first guy off your feet. Puts you in a vulnerable position and, every time. And in that situation, I would say, you know, nobody's even expecting you to block it. You know, you mm-hmm. want to contest it. And if he hits it, then he hits it. You know, I yeah. mean, at a certain point, in my opinion, if you're ma- even if it's DeMar Rosen, if you're making a guy shoot off the dribble, going to his offhand from a half step inside the three point line, if you make a guy take that shot for 48 minutes, you're going to, you know, I mean, that's, you can't play any better defense than that, in my opinion, if you're forcing a guy into that shot. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, you just got to, at a certain point, you're going to give something up and you got to just contest it and live with it, you know. And so it's easy for us to say not being in the moment, obviously. Exactly. And but, it's a, a learning experience for him to realize, you know, sometimes the best defense isn't blocking the shot or even altering the path of the ball, but making the shooter uncomfortable because shooters, right. even if it's someone like a three point shooter like Clay Thompson or someone who's a mid range specialist like CJ McCollum or DeMar DeRozan, they are all creatures of habit and creatures of rhythm. They, if they get their rhythm disrupted, they're going to miss more right. shots than not. Right. And the other thing I'm sure that makes it way harder to not jump is those are the hardest guys on the planet to get off their rhythm. You know? Yeah, That's exactly. a shot. Like, like I'm saying, you know, you got to get something up and you got to force a shot. And, you know, that's still true even with DeMar DeRozan. But DeMar mm-hmm. DeRozan loves that shot. Mm-hmm. Same thing with we were talking about CJ McCollum earlier. Yeah. You know? So it's, you know, it's got to be tempting, you know. Just you you don't want to just sit there and hope that you did a good enough job. So it makes sense. Another thing. That really got me in the Spurs never real much, you know, mm-hmm. and this year was difference. But going back to that free throw to field goal attempted, you know, mm-hmm. we were right at a .16, which is atrocious. Yeah. Not and they were at a, at a .28, which translates to the Spurs shooting 33 free throws and the Grizzlies took 18. And what was, you know, the worst about mm-hmm. it to me is we shot 83%. We were 15 for 18 from the free throw line. So I thought that, you know, you, know, you got to get to the line more. And, and that's how you, that's how you lose games despite right. shooting better um, from the field. Like Dean Oliver, you know his four factors to winning winning basketball games. It always goes um, effective field goal shooting, um, turnover percentage, offensive rebound percentage, and free throw rate in that order. And most more often than not, if you are winning the effective field goal battle, you're going to win games that you that you play. Memphis shot right at 50% effective field goal shooting. Still was better than San Antonio. Held them 48.8. Turned the ball over less, too. Those are the two most important things. They only turned the ball over 10% of their possessions, and it's 13% for San Antonio. But the discrepancy in free throws, like you alluded to, and the offensive rebounds was so large that it was able to mitigate all the error that San Antonio committed in that game. And that's just a hard lesson to learn. I mean... Uh, Yaka Pertle, three offensive boards. Rudy Gay, two offensive boards. Keldon Johnson, like we mentioned earlier, in his 11th career game, two offensive boards. Drew Eubanks, two offensive boards. Who the hell is that? Two offensive boards. And some of those were so important late in games when you're trying to get stops. When you're in a game that's a little lower scoring, you're try- it's a knockdown, dragout game. and what It's essentially a playoff game. Like These are mm-hmm. playoff games for the Grizzlies. The pace wasn't obviously very slow. The uh, pace was at 104 in this game, which is, which is pretty high. But especially considering you're playing the the San Antonio Spurs, right? But that's that bails a team that wasn't shooting really well. You get a team on an off offensive night, and they still beat you because you they bailed themselves out because of those plays. But there were some some bright spots. I mean, John Morant actually took over the game late in terms of getting them back in a position to to strike. 
Uh, Jaron Jackson wasn't shooting the ball very well in the first couple of quarters. He kind of had an outburst in the fourth quarter, but that all started because Jaw was being more aggressive, not settling for jump or like longer jumpers, and was taking guys to the rim. And I think he finished with 25 points on six, almost 61% true shooting with nine rebounds and nine assists. But a lot of those assists came from, you know, kicking out to Jaron Jackson, who finished with 21 on a 73% true shooting. But he was getting more available looks because when it got into crunch time and they needed a bucket, they needed or they were needing, you know, to be able to mount buckets on each other, not just like one bucket. They need to, you know, mount mm-hmm. a run. Morant was able to mentally take over the game to the point where it got the Grizzlies back within striking range right. because it did look like it was kind of hopeless earlier in the fourth quarter. The Spurs were uh, were kind of in the lead for the most part. And they, they were in the lead, but even more than they were in the lead, they just looked like they were in control. Yeah, know? exactly. That's a better they, way to put it. They yeah, looked like they were really in control. And I think that the reason that, you know, they look like that, going back to the free throws, is you're relying in that situation – you're relying far too much on being able to consistently score field goals mm. against a set defense coached by Greg Popovich that are playing for their lives, you know, because they were behind us for the – what they ended up finishing like a half game out of the play-in game, right? Yeah, they were eliminated on the last day. Last day. There were yeah. like a couple teams of Suns too, obviously. Suns um, and Kings. Second yeah, Suns okay. shout out in the podcast. But uh, – Yeah, good for them. They did a hell of a job. Yeah, they're, they got a few, but um, – yeah, man. You know, it's just you're 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 putting way too much pressure on young guys to consistently hit what are for the majority of the time at least relatively contested shots. Mm-hmm. And you know, free throws are how you open everything up, and it's how you get guys you know off the court. To talk about um, Pirtle, you were talking about offensive rebounds. Pirtle killed him. He played 20 minutes. He scored six points. Um, he had. Three offensive rebounds and he was a plus twenty five for and how, his offensive to talk about how huge. you know I, I remember him having a couple yeah huge huge ones and he was you know really good defensively defended without fouling really really well as a matter of fact he um, actually fouled out so what am I talking about I was looking at the wrong, <laughs> I was looking at the wrong uh, the, line the wrong column there but yeah no he he played yeah I thought he played really well um, you know made up for some, I mean he's he's really like their only true big aside from you. Tyler Zeller played for 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot Zeller. Tyler Zeller was yeah. on the team. So, I forgot he was I mean, still in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that that was, uh, that was what it came down to. Offensive rebounds and inference so, I thought were the biggest things. So, second game of the bubble, second gut-wrenching loss in which either, uh, I guess I'd say experience is a good thing to blame for, for both of those losses. And then you go into what I thought, or what most people thought, going into the bubble was going to be the biggest game in terms of determining the 8 seed or at least the 8-9 seed, and that's the game with the Pelicans. That's the most highly anticipated. You have Ja versus Zion. Uh, really, from in terms of a sexiness perspective of a matchup, this was as good as it gets. And with a win, the Grizzlies could have gained an extra game on the Pelicans and taken advantage of some of the other losses that other Western Conference teams, not named the Suns, had in the bubble. And they really, and they, I thought they blew a big opportunity, not because they shot 46% effective field goal shooting, but they held Zion Williamson in check. I mean, Zion Williamson was a guy who's, I mean, true shootings in the 60s. And this is a guy who is one of those efficient scorers once he gets around the rim. The NBA has seen in a long time, especially out of somebody that young. And they held him 9 for 21 shooting. And he was missing a lot of shots around the rim. This was probably... Uh, Valanchunas, Clark, and Jackson, all three of those guys that got uh, that had playing time that were bigs um, for Memphis that were able to get in the game. This is their best 
rim-protecting game I think I've ever seen from them. I mean, it wasn't like they were blocking a ton of shots. Uh, they ended up blocking 10 shots. Four of those were from Valanchunas, but a lot of that came from blocking Zion. I and mean, they protected the rim, which against the, the Pelicans is the one thing you really need to do if you mm-hmm. don't want Zion Williamson to beat you. They weathered that storm, did what I thought was going to be the hardest thing on the scouting report to do, and still found a way to lose that game. That was probably one of the biggest takeaways from that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought um, first to touch on you know rim protection versus blocking shots. Mm-hmm. Um, rim protection doesn't you know blocking shots is rim protection for the most part, but you know yeah, it's rim not protection everything. doesn't yeah. equal blocking shots. You know, mm-hmm. and um, the biggest testament to that are you know my favorite team to watch by far right now is the Rockets. Yeah, great the rim Rockets, protecting team. They're blocking the, the Rockets. You yeah. know, ball um, containment is rim protection. Is you know what they say mm-hmm. about the Rockets. You know, if a guy doesn't yeah. get to the rim, he can't finish at the rim. And you know, obviously. Um, Zion, you know, I, I was willing to give Zion a break in this game. He ended up playing 25 minutes, but he's playing in bursts, you know. Yeah. I feel like he kind of had a hard time finding, you know, a rhythm. Not that he really needs much of a rhythm to do what he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just a – but, uh, you know, defended at the rim really well. This was another one uh, where I thought that, you know, I thought that we should have won. I, I, it was, I think so. I thought it was a blown opportunity. Uh, you know, we didn't shoot very well. And, again, we didn't shoot a lot of free throws. Uh, as a matter of fact, the free throws, they shot 39 and we shot 15. Yeah. So, you know, you look at, you know, double the free throw rate, you look yeah. at just that and then you look at everything else and it's like we, you know, they turned the ball over more than us. Um, mm. They shot better than us from the field, you know, and, and from three. But I just, you know, that was the biggest difference. You know, you can shoot a little poor and poorly and, you know, still want to. I thought that, you know, we were giving up too many. Uh, too many, you know, people love to talk about referees, but I thought we were really legitimately fouling that much. Fouling that much because, A, that's the Grizzlies' MO. And I know if you watch a lot of Grizzlies games, a lot of people complain about getting whoever, whoever they're playing is going to shoot more free throws because Dylan Brooks is just an aggressive kind of player. He's going to foul mm-hmm. a lot because he is a he is a very high risk taking uh, defensive players who can go for a lot of steals. Jaron Jackson Jr. still hasn't necessarily discovered the art of playing defense without fouling just yet. We talked about in part one how he did at least improve his fouls per 100 from like 7.2 to 6.7. So there's a little bit of improvement there, but it's not where you want it to be for a guy who you want to get 35 minutes of playing time each time Mm -hmm. he's out on the floor. Uh, You want to get as many minutes um, uh, as possible. And a team that relies on getting to the rim as much as the Pelicans do, their whole goal is to get to the free throw line. And coming into the bubble... Once Zion Williamson joined the Pelicans in, what was it, late January, early February, um, or, early, or later in the season, once he finally joined them, they were getting almost 50%. I think it was 49% of their shots were at the rim. And the next closest team was the Chicago Bulls at like 21 22%. That is insane. And that stretch of time, the Pelicans just completely revamped their offense to get the ball to either Zion or have Zion create, you know, Space and opportunities for other guys to cut, like either Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, guys to be able to cut to the basket once the separation is drawn out. Instead of kicking out for threes, they were focused on getting the ball to the rim and getting easy twos. And Zion really made that a lot more easier for them to do once he finally joined the team. And so that's part of the Pelicans game. The Grizzlies defensively are a team that foul a lot by nature. The Pelicans are very aggressive and they want to get all their shots to the rim. So they're going to draw a couple, several more fouls by nature. And I think. That's something that was predictable to see in this game. 
You just didn't want it to see it be the factor. And it turned out to be the factor when the Grizzlies started settling for more threes. Um, love John Morant's aggressiveness on the offensive side, but I don't think he should be shooting 10 threes in a game. It's not his, it's not his forte. Right. I mean, and, and I, you hope one at some point in his career, he's going to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. And if he's able to get his three point shooting to be 36, 37%, you will welcome more 10, three point right. attempt nights. He shot 10 in this game, made only one. Right. And a lot of them were front off the rim. And they were, they almost seemed like they were tired. Right. They were tired jumpers. And you can tell a tired jumper uh, or a tired jump shooter as well, just by the way, they're not getting a lot of lift on their legs and the shot. And that's kind of what looked like was happening later was in the game. It was pushing it a lot. It was a lot of a pushing lot. it. And, and I think some false confidence in terms of the three point shot came in when Grayson Allen came in and hit five of six. Grayson Allen was unconscious yeah. in this game. And that mm-hmm. kept them in it early. But when those shots weren't falling, the Pelicans were able to bank on getting free throws. And that forced Memphis later in the game to go into some more drop coverages uh-huh. to try to at least play some defense without fouling. And that's when Brandon Ingram took over late. Brandon Ingram went he's, full he's so went full CJ McCollum and was able to go a couple dribbles inside the three-point line and just hit some uh, mid-range jumpers. He hit, some, that, he hit some killers, yeah. And yeah, and towards the end, they were a little more contested. But when they started making that run, I felt like the Grizzlies kind of fell into drop just to be able to to keep them off the foul line and away from right. easier looks. And what's it come down to? Again, we can't guard the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we didn't guard the ball spectacularly. Not high, not having Tyus Jones hurt that a lot too. Tyus I think Jones, that, that Tyus really Jones, hurt. And this Tyus game Jones was is hard to screen. I think he's. Yeah. I watch him, and he reminds me of you know a much lesser because I I don't know if there's anybody in the league better at him, but he reminded me of lesser Mike Conley watching the way he would get around screens. Okay, yeah, yeah, I I, I Mike, can see some because they're to so that small and yeah. quick. You know, it's and they're violent with their movement. It's so hard to mm-hmm. you know screen Mike Conley. Yeah, I can't imagine trying to screen that guy for minutes. It would be very yeah. frustrating. But, um, yeah, you know, Grayson Allen shot well. If, if you don't mind, because I don't even know where to look to do this, could you pull up? I, I feel like Grayson oh, Allen hit, it, a, yeah. he hit a few in the fourth quarter, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I remember that happening. He, let's see, and it, it happened, I think, at the end of the second quarter, too. Yeah. Uh, in the fourth quarter of this game, Grayson Allen did not attempt a three-pointer. Oh, my gosh. I think most of it was second quarter. Yeah, he was three for four from three in the second quarter. And in the first half, he was – oh, no, he was all, all five of six his first half. Okay. because He I, did not attempt a three after yeah, that. Yeah, I just – I can't – I don't know why I keep getting these games wrong. I feel like there was one where Grayson Allen in the fourth quarter. But, um, yeah, you know, and the thing – you're talking about the, the Pelicans getting to the rim. I feel like what, when it really changed for them, because you're talking about like when they transitioned to being mm-hmm. – if you watch them early um, in the season, you know, so you go and look and they attempt the seventh most threes of any team in the league. They make mm-hmm. the fifth most. They've got the seventh best percentage. And, you know, they've got, I mean, they got a lot of shooters, you know, so you've got J.J. Reddick without saying. Oh, um, yeah. J.J. Reddick shot 45% though on six and a half attempts, which is like. That's um, insane. It's mind numbing. To a lesser extent, you know, Sandarius Thor- Thornwell, you know, was a hit, hit 50% on two attempts a game. Brandon Ingram. We were just talking about who, you know, a lot of people think about him as a mid-range guy, and he's really good. From the, but Brandon Ingram shot 39% on six attempts. Again. Got a lot better. A I mean, he made better. he made a really good growth in terms of his all-around game this year. Then you get down into he's that. He's got to vote for know, MIP. The average, the average, you know, to like slightly above average. You know, Etuan Moore took three a game and shot 38%. Lonzo took six a game and shot 37.5%, which I'm a big Lonzo guy personally. Which is a, a big jump for him, too. Big I mean, jump he for also him. He's gotten better every jump. year. And I would say shooting 37.5% at six attempts is pretty average, I would say. I would say yeah. that like 
or not, I don't know if I'd say average so much as like when you get there, you're like, that's a guy I'm comfortable with taking shots. You know, he's not Josh Smith, where he's he's mid mid uh, mid shot form, and the whole arena is like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. or they start groaning or anything. Brandon's like going to be upset like about the Josh Smith slander, though. Oh yeah, I, I love and Josh Smith. It's not about what you talk about Dylan Brooks being a polarizing oh, player. Yeah. I think oh, Josh yeah. Smith, you can put right in that category yeah. in terms of polarizing oh, players yeah. to their fan base. And I think I think it's funny. I think Lonzo's up there too. You know, he's he's a um, tremendous passer and. Mm. He's clearly he's so good, smart, but passing, some yeah. stuff that he does sometimes it always compounds. It's a, he does doing sometimes too much. Where you're just yeah. like, what are you doing? You know, like mm-hmm. what are you what are you seeing? But so they they shot really well, but the first half of the season they didn't have Zion, mm-hmm. so they had you know they were scoring I would think mostly off of you know rim runs. You know, Lonzo's one of the best outlet passers on the planet. Um, but once you get Zion back, it's like if you're not going through the paint with him, what are you doing? Well, it wasn't right. why you draft him, you know? Yeah. And so he was getting to the rim a lot. He also, you know, he's improved his shot too. But uh, it just it made it easier for him to work in space to have guys like that around. It took me a while to get. But he, um, you know, he opened things up for the rest of them just like, you know, I feel like they really opened things up for him. Mm-hmm. And so that made it a lot easier for them to get to the rim, and I'm sure they'll only do it more going forward, you know, because they don't they don't really have another guy that they're you know I feel like trying to consistently get as many touches Zion, mm-hmm. and then you got a lot of guys working off ball screens, and like Brandon can work off mid post stuff. So I think that they've got you know a lot of versatility. But for this season, it was I thought you know when I watched them after they got Zion back, it was they were clearing the floor and letting him go towards the floor, mm-hmm. you know. They were doing what I was talking about. But mostly, you know, they were trying to get to the rim or they were trying to shoot, which is, you know, how the modern NBA is going. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they'll continue to get to the rim a lot going forward. And the biggest loss, obviously losing the game was huge because you oh lose that gosh. game. But the biggest loss was losing Jaron Jackson Jr. Tears his meniscus out for the season. I don't even – I kept meaning to ask you like, this. Did it happen like on a play or did it happen he, on a play? Uh, but I, he played till the end, didn't he? Or did yeah, I? He went off for a little bit. Like he went off the floor for a little bit and then came back in. Uh, as I remember the sideline reporter um, for ESPN, I can't remember if it was Malika Andrews or who it was, said that, you know, he feels fine, that like it, it kind of hurt a little bit, but mm-hmm. that once he got checked out, they think that it, he was fine. Played the rest of the game and he was like hobbling, like or limping a little bit off the floor did the MRI that night. Next morning came out, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweets that it's a torn meniscus. Yeah, my and least favorite Waj bomb in history. That was a bad Waj bomb. Yeah, that yeah. was not one that I think we were all looking forward to uh, by any means. And I thought that was the real kiss of death of their season because Triple I remember J tweeted is, at you. I was like, if we win another game in the bubble, I'll be happy. I remember yeah, saying that. exactly. And I mean, they did and they did end up doing that. Mm-hmm. We'll speed through some of these here, but they did get uh, a couple wins, one being against Oklahoma City which they shot the lights out. Uh, no Steven Adams. Um, Thunder got a good game from Lou Dort, though, in that uh, mm-hmm. offensively, but played really, really well against Oklahoma City and lose uh, lose some other games. Uh, I think they fin- they started off out of the first seven games, they're one and six. Uh, Utah beat them, which, of course, now the Utah loss doesn't look as shameful because oh, without really good. Bogdanovich, they're Utah, still incredible. Utah is like one of those teams that like people don't watch all that much. Uh-huh. But they're, I mean, they were the top three-point shooting team in the league this year. Mm-hmm. They defend really well. Bogdanovich was so good. Now, just imagine how good if, if they'd be oh, if he was still in. Like, yeah, they they wouldn't be much sweep the series. They lost, by the way, today. Oh, Utah did? Yeah, I heard, I heard Jokic hit a... Uh, Big three pointer down the stretch. I got a text. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so that they're in a dog fight for that one. I think even though they were up three one, I think that's going to be a really good series. But 
Utah, really good team. Mike Conley did it to his old team, so there's a there's a little more of emotional uh, heartbreak there for for Grizzlies and the Grizzlies fans. Seeing is you know it's one thing to to get a setback in the playoff race playing against a team that's just better than you. It's another thing to have it done to you by a guy who was a staple of your franchise. He's going to get his jersey decade. retired. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah going to get. Yeah. He's definitely going to get his jersey retired. A staple of your franchise. Yeah. For the last decade, and so that emotionally was was a huge huge bummer. Um, but they when they do when they did get that first win at OKC, I did have this um, as a note is one of those games. Dylan Brooks shot really well, defended a lot better because he's a little more mentally engaged. He had twenty two points on sixty one percent true shooting, and the bench finally, in terms of someone other than Brandon Clark, because poor DeAnthony Melton man had a really rough bubble at times, but. Gorgie he's got Jang. a lot to improve on. He does. He can. He could be. I think he'll be good. It's a, he's a little bit of a project. Yeah. And I thought in the regular season he was fine when Tyus Jones is able to alleviate some of that pressure of being the backup point guard and taking more of an offensive mm-hmm. load off of him. Yep. Especially on the defensive side too, you're able to hide him a little bit. But once he got in the bubble and he was forced to be that other primary ball handler off the bench, it obviously didn't amount to what it would have been if Tyus Jones was in that Tyus Jones injury. Also rearing its ugly head in some of those uh, in some of that aspects of the game, but in the game in Oklahoma City, Clark was in double figures, Gorgie Jang in double figures, and Grayson Allen all in double figures. I think it was the first time in the bubble they had uh, three guys score double figures coming off the bench, and they won despite turning the ball over 19 times, which is something that they kind of had to learn how to do during the regular season because they are such a high, so a high risk, high reward passing team. Um, so they were able to get that win. And then we'll go ahead and fast forward to the last game because I, I like it's been a, it's been a doom and gloom episode. Yeah, but I would like to highlight some of the good here for the Grizzlies and most importantly, which in my opinion was the most impressive win. I think the Thunder. I don't want to say the Thunder were, were sandbagging it completely, or the Bucks, but I think the Bucks. It was more important for them to win because it was a high pressure game. It's a game you had to win if you wanted to get in. You don't want to rely on the Suns losing because they just quite frankly, weren't doing that when they went no, to Orlando. You don't want to rely on the Spurs to lose to the Kings or whoever it was they were playing. And you didn't want to have to bank on the Blazers losing to the Nets. You had the most unfavorable matchup of all the the potential Western Conference playoff teams in the bubble in that last you know round of games. The last thing you wanted to do was have your fate put in someone else's hands. Right. And even though there's no Giannis, uh, which if we're going to have our guests for the strangest storyline in the bubble, Giannis getting suspended for a game for headbutting Mo Wagner in a meaningless game against the worst team in the bubble by far, the Wizards. They were worse than some teams that weren't in the bubble. Exactly. Yeah. If you would have told me that would have happened, I, I, I wouldn't believe you. I think that's just one of the stranger storylines yeah. that we were able to witness. But there was no Giannis. But even without Giannis, that is a very, very, very good Bucks team. It's a very deep Bucks team. I don't care that DJ Wilson started that game. Still an incredible Bucks team. They have another All-NBA player in Chris Middleton leading the way. Must-win game. And the Grizzlies got the biggest win of the season. I found that really incredible. And you had the two triple-doubles with um, with JV and Ja Morant. What were your favorite takeaways from that one? Because this is the high-pressure game. I mean, this is their Super yeah, this Bowl was it. this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought, like you said, no Giannis. Um, but I was still... A little on fence because, like you also said, without Giannis, they're still very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were top 10 um, offensive rating. They were at eighth with 112. But they were first in the entire NBA with a defensive rating of 102.9, which is really good. Incredible in the NBA. Really yeah. good. With the best offense. And a lot of that is Giannis obviously got named Defensive Player of the Year, and rightfully so today. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is he's 
so versatile and long and strong and smart. You know, he's learning a lot. And, you know, but just the way that they play team defense is is really good. You know, they they want nothing at the rim. You know, you got Brooke Lopez who has just done a complete 180 and now he's a three-point shooting big. His career has taken the weirdest turn but of almost any it. all-star big man I've ever I, seen. I love, but it's, wa- I love watching him, you know. Keeps him in the league. It's just completely different, you know. Not only keeps him in the league, but he's like one of the most important players on a team that might win the finals, you know. Exactly, yeah. He's, he's big for them. And so, you know, they still had him. That Middleton, who is in an elite list of people who have scored over 20 and shot 50. Yeah, one of like three players. Bird, Durant, and I think Curry's I done think it. Curry, yeah, Curry's done it too. I think that's it. I think and that's Chris the list. Middleton. And Chris yeah. Middleton. Yeah. That's, that's crazy, you know. And so they, they, they still had a roster that was, you know, pretty good. Um, and we were beat up. Obviously, we didn't have Jaron. Admittedly, I didn't, I didn't even <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, this was the only one I missed, but uh, John Morant shot five for 17, but six turn. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Jonas but Valanciunas. This was his best game. I mean, this uh, is a masterpiece from, uh, yeah, from JV. I just, I couldn't believe it when I checked the stats. I had to, I had to check Tim's. But um, in addition to him, you also had maybe, and I'm sure I'm missing some regular season, you know, maybe some meaningless ones I didn't watch. But, you know, when you add context, I think this was easily the best game Dylan for Memphis Grizzly. Oh, yeah. In terms um, of meaningfulness, efficiency, and really keeping his hand out of the out of the cookie jar. You know how many fouls Dylan Brooks committed in this game? As many as me and you. Yeah. That is zero. We did yeah. not play. Yeah, he had yeah, he had 31, you know. Uh, was hitting some tough shots. Seven. Shoot, true shooting was at 76, you know, teetering on, on 77. He had an offensive rating of a 136 with a defensive rating of a 1 of 100. Incredible. Um, and, and and what, again, I didn't watch, so if, if this wasn't the case, and no, correct me, but he, I'm, I'm pretty sure he guarded Chris Middleton. Yeah, he, he Chris, was assigned, assigned Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton only played 20 minutes because, again, the game wasn't, you know, the Bucks had already walked up the 1, I'm pretty sure. Mm, for sure. So yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a huge deal. So he only played 20 minutes, but in those 20 minutes, it's not like, you know, he only took three shots. He shot, he shot five for 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he held, he held Chris Middleton to, you know, a 46 at, at true shooting, yeah. which is, you know, a lot lower than one addition to that. He scored 31 points. He didn't turn, I don't think he turned the ball over once. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, one turn, one turn, yeah. one turn. Um, and, you know, really made up for the fact that John Moran was five for seven. Yeah. Because without, with Jaron Jackson, you know, John Moran shooting five for 17 is a pretty, I mean, it's a game altering statistic, All mm-hmm. obviously. Without him, it's even worse. And Jonas did have a huge game, but, you know, for all the, you know, piling on Dylan Brooks we've done inadvertently in this podcast. This is this is his golden moment. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. really is the se- this is the yeah. game of the season in which he saves their rear. And, and of course, we talked about the two, the two triple doubles from Jaw and JV, but this is what really saves them. And it started early. And that goes back to the the polarization of Dylan Brooks. Yeah. If he's not hitting shots early, maybe he's not as connected mentally on the defensive yeah. end. But that wasn't the case in this game. Uh, Grizzlies really had the lead from about midway to the first half, first quarter for the rest of the game. And that was because Dylan Brooks was hitting transition threes. He was hitting contested mid-range jumpers. I mean, really hard jump shots. Mm-hmm. They were going in. Uh, the corner three was falling four for seven from three overall. But he was really getting what he wanted offensively, was getting some tough layups to fall. I remember early in the first half, you know, takes a drive in the lane, throws one up. I think it was over Brooke Lopez, falling out of bounds. And it's just one of those that, like, he just gets a really great kiss off the glass. Like, he just hits it that perfect part of the corner of the square, dropped right in. And just, like, you knew then that if Dylan Brooks is getting those to fall, 
you're going to see him really make an impact on this game. And that's where, you know, the 31 points came from and where defensively he really, really locked in. So I'm glad with all the dogging on him for the DeMar DeRozan mistake, which we'll say to her blue in the face is unforgivable. This was a game in which he got to redeem himself by essentially giving them the cushion that they needed to feel comfortable winning later in the game. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked all about the the JV triple-double and the Ja Morant triple-double, but a lot of that scoring, that offensive boost, because like you said, Ja Morant, five for 17 from the field, was not hitting a lot of shots. They needed every bit of those 31 points from Dylan Brooks to be able to get to that nine spot. And and before we move on from Dylan Brooks, maybe for the last time in the podcast, I just want to say emphatically, and I'm, I'm sure you agree that we haven't talked about it privately, I am 100% on the, on board with Dylan Brooks. I'm a big Dylan Brooks guy. I'm on the I'm fence. Really, I'm, I'm really glad. Very... I'm really glad he's a Grizzly. I've, I've liked him since he was at Oregon. And one of my personal favorite March Madness moments when he hit the meaningless three against Duke. Oh, yeah. And, and Coach K was heated. I'm a Coach K oh. guy, but Coach K was Coach heated. K was mad. And I was yeah. like, it's not very many people from the other team that make Mike Krzyzewski react that way. They so. get under his skin. Yeah, and then, right. and yeah. What's the perfect like encapsulation of what like Dylan Brooks is? You love yeah. him or you hate him. Yep. Um, some of the things he does, you love it or you hate it. You hate it when you're playing against him. You love it when he's on your team. And some of the mistakes you ha- that he has that you kind of have to live with because it's the kind of player he is. Polarizing is the perfect word for it. And we'll have to here on the Grizz and Grind podcast. We're going to have to have an individualized Dylan Brooks. Oh yeah, um, episode. I, I would really like that actually. Um, and compare him to other uh, polarizing guys in the NBA. But one of the big, the biggest thing I noticed too was a you're not getting 12 assists from Jonas Valanciunas very often. But he was able to pass out of the post better than I think I've ever seen him pass out of the post. And despite John Morant having an awful shooting night, he made up for it by grabbing four offensive rebounds. He led the team in offensive boards and they end up winning the offensive or uh yeah won their offensive rebound battle they grabbed 20 percent of their offensive rebounds yeah so one out of every five misses memphis is able to correct and when you have someone like dylan brooks who's shooting that well when you're shooting 57 percent effective field goal shooting like the grizzlies were it only makes your offense that much better when you're the little error you're committing you're able to to connect on and and basically correct and that's basically what kept the Bucks from being able to crawl back into it, especially with no Chris Middleton really right. in the second half, like 13 minutes yeah. in the first half, seven in the second. But you created enough separation where it just it didn't matter who they would put a play at that point. Who guarded John Morant? And that was Eric Bledsoe? I'm Eric assuming. Bledsoe and Dante DiVincenzo did a lot of guarding of, of, of John Morant. Bledsoe is he's a he's he's good. He's yeah. defensively he's solid. He's he's real Most good. Most he goes it gets. Yeah, he played yeah, Bledsoe DiVincenzo, played eighteen minutes and DiVincenzo was nineteen minutes. Yeah, DiVincenzo's is good defensively, but I'm just saying keeping you know, John Moran's fast, you know, so keeping Very a guy cool, like yeah. that off the glass is a tough matchup for, you know, if DJ Wilson had to, you know, DiVincenzo. For Bledsoe, it's probably a little bit for those two guys. It was a, an exploitable matchup. But flies. Props on them for, for being able to get that win. And then of course the play in game. They they lose to the Gri- or they are the Grizzlies. They lose to the Blazers and what was obviously a really disappointing end to the season. But that was one of the more exciting games of the entire bubble. And if I'm ranking bubble games, that's a, a top five one for me because it was um, uh, such a big game. Everything at stake. It was a four point game. Portland got ahead early, but then Memphis got on a run late, was able to to crawl back in it and make it a game. What did you see from the Grizzlies personally that impressed you when it came back to getting a 42-point third quarter and creeping back in a game that they were seemingly out of before halftime? 
the 42-point third quarter. So, obviously, to start of the game, it was that hideous run at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I remember other Grizzlies fans, who shall remain nameless, were messaging me on all <laughs> platforms of social media. Like, well, I already turned my TV off. Like, we don't have Jaron. This game's going to be... And, you know, I mean, you got to stick it out. John Morant was passive in the first half, I thought. He was a little too passive. And in the third quarter, I mean, could you look up how many shots he took in the third quarter, if you don't mind? They don't have, they don't have that. asshole reference the, the quarter for this game, which is really weird. They don't that have, like, really the quarter-by-quarter quarter stuff. Um, but like he, um, I mean, that, that, he ended up with 35. I don't know what he had in the first half, but it wasn't mm-hmm. close to that. I mean, he... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he hit a three at the end of the half that, you know, like kind of kind of made him look pretty good. But in the second half, I thought, you know, he was really, really, really aggressive. Um, I thought that when he got subbed out and we had to play in the half court more, I thought mm-hmm. Valanchunas was really good. Very, very suitable. And, um, and Valanchunas kind of picked up on where he left off in terms of being able to pass out of the post. Um, he had six assists um, to go with Kyle Anderson's nine. Yeah. I think I was going to get into, too. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, Kyle Anderson. Yeah, Kyle Anderson was creating for others like I had never seen him mm-hmm. um, off ball. He had some, I mean, he had a pass I had never seen before where he got all the way up in the air and then wrapped it around. I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Getting a defender to leave his feet and, yeah. fi- and, and so, finding somebody else. Yeah, he had nine. Nine assists was really good. Anthony Tolliver, that's not your go-to. Yeah, he's not. Got in um, foul trouble. He was, yeah, he was okay enough. I thought he defended decently. Um, Brandon Dylan, Clark was hitting a lot of threes in that third quarter. Brandon too. Clark's yeah. hit. Brandon Clark's hit. I think two. I think he hit two in a row to end the quarter. Yeah, hit two. Yeah, hit two in a row to end. Yeah, to end the quarter, um, and that was which him not being a finals rookie. Yeah, uh, to I'll me, stick I to that. Kendrick Nunn over Brandon. A little shady, but you know, I mean, look at some of the you know the true shooting. Brandon Clark was right at 91. Kyle Anderson was at a 77. John Morant was only at a 55, but you know, he was the engine, you know. He was mm-hmm. he, he was really what kept us in it. Um, Grayson Allen, you know, played 23 minutes and didn't hit a three, which isn't, you know, never ideal. Dylan Brooks was four for five from three. I think I think a few of those came in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. I mean, the third quarter, I swear, we scored. Everything was every going in. Yeah, yeah everything was, was like, going in. And very, you know, it was like not a lot of it was wide open, you know. So that was, you know, talk again about sustainability. I thought it was going to come down in the third quarter to just like, I was like, I mean, please just get enough stops because I'm not expecting another 42. But if we can just put together enough stops. String and some together. That'll yep. be enough. And sure enough, Skinny Mellow decided to put us away. Skinny Olympic shot. Mellow, yeah. yep. The same shot that got them back in the game when they played him the first time. Same exact spot, everything. Yeah, it was. In transition. Like, it was, ah, uh, that, that was the gut punch there. And. You know, it's uh, and Melo scored twenty one in this game. I don't, I don't know if there are many other games in the bubble where he scored more points than he did in this game. And he didn't even shoot well. He was five for 15, one for six from three. But here's the kicker: it's Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Carmelo Anthony were a combined, if my math is correct here, twenty eight of twenty eight. Twenty eight of twenty eight. Those three were twenty eight for twenty eight from the free throw line. They attempted forty one free throws to the tune of 22 for the Grizzlies, and their free throw per field goal attempt was 0.417, which is insane. So those guys, um, 28 for 28, so they outshot us, the whole Memphis Grizzlies roster. They took 28, we took 22, and, as they, made, and they made 28, and as a team, we made 18. Mm-hmm. It's the whole game, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the entire game. In a four-point game, that makes the world yeah. difference. And a lot of that comes with yep. experience. When the shot's not falling, because Melo, like I mentioned earlier, he missed 10 shots. Shot poorly, 33% from the field. Wasn't really hitting anything. Missed his first five threes. 
And it wasn't like Damian Lillard was he Damian Lillard hit five threes. He he shot fourteen. So I mean, he was still like pretty efficient. I thought we defended relatively. him really well. They I did. Think, you know, he 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 had thirty one points. He, he didn't kill you from the three point line, which he is what he did for the last at four teams. Point, he played and against. here's the insane: at that point in the bubble, you're happy with him scoring thirty one points on you because he was scoring sixty against Dallas and, and sixty against. Came back. Yeah, yeah I mean, Saul's like thirty one was cool, and you know everybody talks about. Um, CJ McCollum. I like CJ McCollum. So if you had done this to anybody, I know. But uh-huh. Yeah, those ISO baskets at the end, you know, on John Moran. Did what he does to Memphis. Um, every but I, time. I actually thought were defended pretty well. Um, you know, those are his spots. He loves to get there. And but. you live with someone taking a, a contested mid range jumper at that point in the yeah. game. Almost anyone, but CJ McCollum is like one of the five guys in the NBA who is going to take that shot and they look, they seek that shot right. out. And it's not a bad shot if they shoot it. Right. So, you know, really, I mean, I just I thought it was free throws, you know, and then, you know, we turned the ball over five more times than they did, but we also had 10 more assists than they did. You get into rebounding, you know, it was that rebounded us by nine, which is, um, and they just got, you know, they just got the line, you know, and, and that was another instance of, I thought we were just fouling them that much. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah, it's one of those and, things where just, that's the Grizzlies MO. And when they're shooting free throws and we're pulling the ball out of the net, and they're getting back and setting up their defense, and John Rant's walking the ball on a spread ball screen, a specific possession, over and over and over and over again. It's pretty hard consistently to score that way, even against a team like Portland, who is one of the worst. Mm-hmm. But you Especially know, in the bubble. It got worse. you got to yeah. keep teams off the free throw line if you want to be in transition, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that games where we don't do that are games where you can look and say we didn't shoot as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is an exception. Shots and, um, and yeah, it was a heartbreaker, man. I'm really looking forward to the next playing game. Yeah, and Yusuf Nurkic picked a hell of a time to uh, grab 21 rebounds and grab 17 first half rebounds. I did remember him grabbing 17 in the first half alone. Uh, six of the 21 rebounds in total were offensive rebounds. So, like we mentioned uh, many times in this show, that when the Grizzlies aren't creating second chances and they're giving up second chances, a la San Antonio Spurs game. It doesn't end up well when they're trying to win in crunch yeah. time. Those just add up. The second chances, the free throws, they add up. And that's a lot of a lot of things that the Grizzlies can continue going forward. But we've killed it over an hour. Um, this is a great, a great discussion, di- deep dive into the Grizzlies bubble experience. And we're going to have to have another one of these to talk about the future. We're going to need to do a Dylan Brooks specific podcast. But um, Kevin, thank you for joining me. It was really great to uh, to be able to review the Grizzlies season with you, especially from the perspective of someone who has the basketball mind you do, as well as the emotional investment into this team that you do. Again, man, I, I appreciate the kind words. I, I love the Grizzlies. I have uh, forever. I've, I've gone through all the bumps and bruises. I still miss the grit and grind team sometimes. Uh, it was it was a pleasure to be on, man. I'll be on anytime you'll have me. Yeah, absolutely. And if you listen to us, subscribe to us on Apple Music, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts. We're not going to be on Apple Music. We're not doing any singing or any instrument playing here, but we might do that eventually. But Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, Captivate, wherever you listen to your podcast, like, subscribe. Give us some reviews, give us some bad reviews, whatever. Uh, give us some honest feedback, but you'll probably hear more from Kevin more often. Love having him on. This has been the Grizz and Grind podcast, Grizzlies Year in Review, here on the Hoopheads Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to the Grizz and Grind podcast here on the Hoopheads Podcast Network. This is Elijah Campbell saying so long, and we hope to have you back again soon 
for more of the best Grizzlies talk east of the Mississippi. We'll see you around.